Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are not financial advisors. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guest is not formal advice or a recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Welcome in. This is the Sunday edition of Chit Chat Money, and we are doing the fundamental analysis show. Uh, disappointing, it's just me and Ryan for these ones if you are a new listener. Uh, so it's just going to be me and him. We're probably going to be talking about 25 minutes here, give you an overview of Dropbox. But before we do that, we got to talk about our partners at 7investing. Ryan, did you do it last time? Do you own any of the pitch here? I think I did the sales pitch. Okay, last so time. I'll do it. Uh, also, they, oh, go oh, ahead. Uh, we're becoming good salesmen. Yeah. It's yeah. working. We're getting better. Uh, better. Getting a lot of subscriptions. Customer acquisition costs. Well, thank you everyone for subscribing using the code because, in all seriousness, it helps Seven Investing. It helps ourselves and it it's helps just, you. It's just us, though. It's not the product. It's not about the product. It's our salesmanship. Yes, is exactly that. But no, in all in reality, <laughs> Seven Investing is a quality product. I mean, they have a team of seven investors there that are a widespread of different analysts. You know, someone like Matt, who looks at the fintech companies and some of the more traditional quality names. And you got someone like Max Chatskow, who is deep into the biotech, if that's your game as well. But the thing is, if you use our code CCM at checkout when signing up, your first month is only $7. You get to see their whole new picks from mm-hmm. January. And then each month after that, you get seven picks every month. It really can help your research process. If you're an individual investor and you want to learn about new companies, they can put new companies on your radar and try to find some new ideas for your portfolio. So I think with the price, it's worth it. Is that all? Yeah. yeah. No, Perfect. that's our whole that's our whole pitch. Let's, okay, uh, yeah. get into Dropbox. Ryan, do you want to introduce the company? Yeah, so it's a, like most people probably know what Dropbox does, but they're essentially a hard drive for the cloud. So you can easily access all your data from any of your devices. Early on, they were really trying to appeal to individuals. That's who they were trying to sell to. They kind of made the B2C to B2B transition. So now they're more appealing to businesses. Uh, That's sort of their focus. But users can sign up for free with the basic plan. Uh, That was really what built, I don't want to say a network effect, but it's kind of like on the uh, guy Raz used the analogy of walkie talkies. Like it's not worth buying one if you don't get someone on the other side of it so that was sort of how it was adopted was customers or users would send it to other users and they developed i think a registered users like 600 million of them yes yeah uh, correct. by the end so uh, it worked well but those aren't super easy to monetize so instead they've really transitioned to businesses uh and they charge per user for the businesses uh the standard business plan is 1250 a month advanced is 20 a month and then they have the enterprise contracts which are negotiated so they didn't give any rates on that uh, but 90% of the user's data is stored on Dropbox's own custom-built infrastructure. So they have data centers in California, Oregon, Washington, and Virginia. And just to, as a note, that just means that they're not outsourcing to AWS or Azure or Google Cloud. They're building this network on their own. T- 10% of their data is stored oh, through okay. AWS, but that's okay. because uh, that's, I believe, like the more international stuff, they mm, can get it closer right. to them that right. way. Uh, but yeah, the, I think... Th- those data centers are where most of their lease liabilities come from, I'd have to imagine. Uh, but 
Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything I'm missing with the business. You can access all your files. Uh, I think you can work uh, or upload work, share all that stuff. Yeah, they're trying team. to they're trying to transition more into a business collaboration tool. A little kind of get into Slack's um, expertise there or Microsoft Teams, and they also have HelloSign, which they just bought. So they're kind of they're trying to make a little hub for people to do file sharing, and that be the the place that you know. If the digital file folder. Yeah, stuff like that. Making it easy to collaborate across. Um, I think their pitch is like you can easily use and send Google Docs to each other and Microsoft Excel. So they're platform agnostic. You're not stuck within like the Google Google Drive ecosystem or like the Microsoft you know, ecosystem. And Drew Houston was, I guess there was technically co-founders, but he came up with the idea at one point when he forgot his hard drive. I think he was taking a train from Boston to New York and he forgot his hard drive. Kind of a classic uh, uh, well, <laughs> inventor story. Uh, we'll see if that, uh, I mean, we'll never know, but you know. That's what he said on, so he did an interview, the How I Built This with Guy Raz. He went on there and he talked about it. So he came up with this idea and he's always been a coder. He was like a game developer since he was really young. Uh and so he built this sort of hard drive for the cloud idea and he got into Y Combinator, which is sort of Paul Graham's thing where it's you're supposed to like accelerate the business and make them grow faster. Um, and one of their big catches is you have to have a co-founder if they're going to fund you. And so he got a co-founder. I'm blanking on the name. I think it's Ajay. You know, yeah. what? I'm not going to try. He actually just left in March to pursue something else. I don't the, – the, he wrote a letter like Drew Houston or Houston, excuse me. I really did think it was Houston. He wrote a letter of like, thank you for coming along. So Drew Houston just left. No, no, no. Drew is still there. He, he is the, like the true founder, the guy that had right. the real idea. But the co-founder um, ended up just leaving the company this spring. Um, not really a red flag at all, but just something to look, look yeah. for. They uh, He went to MIT. Both of them went to MIT. So sort of – I mean, this is like the prototypical Silicon Valley story. Like two MIT engineers in 09 with Y Combinator, apply to Y Combinator. They got onto Hacker News before. That's how they got noticed, Mm -hmm. which was like the big news site where everyone just looked. I mean, listening to this interview, I felt like I was literally watching this. Silicon Valley <laughs> show. Uh, but Drew is still the Dropbox CEO, and he said something that was kind of interesting during the interview. He said it's really easy to build something that kind of works, and keep in mind he is an engineer, but it's really hard to build something that's bulletproof. Uh, now, unfortunately for them, they've demonstrated that because they've had numerous security breaches over the last decade, which is sort of what they've become almost infamous for. Because if you've ever, if you ever watched the show uh, Silicon Valley, at one point, Ehrlich says now uh, they're, they're like trying to get into file storage. And he says, now Dropbox is winning, but they should be considered Dripbox because of all the leaks. Um, so that was sort of where the joke came from. And they do have sort of that. Uh, uh, there's yeah. there's almost brand erosion in the security problems because if I'm a company, if I'm a financial company or if I have to store customers' financial documents and there's anything security-wise, it looks irresponsible mm-hmm. almost to store your files there. Uh, but it's, it seems like over the last, say, like 2010 to 2015, they got that bad reputation. It seems like over the last five years, they, they've really fixed that because I haven't heard any bad things about them for a while. Okay. And the two co-founders still own about 64.5% of the total voting power, I guess, uh, a J or whatever is leaving. Uh, But that was of their last proxy statement, which was like a year ago. So, And they uh, they have class B shares, I'm assuming? Yeah, it's dual class structure uh, and it... Yeah. Pretty much all their voting power is through their Class B shares. 
Uh, that's all I've got. You want to get into the valuation? Yeah, so I'll get some of the numbers here. Uh, not too many because I know it's just tough to read everything over and over. But, yeah, these are from Coifin. Uh, so if there are any of them are off, you can yell at Coifin. Uh, the ticker is a DBX, if you're wondering. Market cap is $9.3 billion, and their enterprise value is almost identical. Uh, last 12-month EB to sales is 5.1. EV to operating cash flow is 15.8, and EV to free cash flow is 18.9, so not bad whatsoever. Uh, if you're just looking at it in a vacuum, you'd say it's a very reasonable valuation for their margin profile. Uh, they have no dividend, as you may expect, and then their weighted average shares outstanding have gone from $412 million in 2019 to $420 million as of the end of last quarter. So there has been some share dilution, but not crazy amounts, and then Ryan will get into actually... This year, they've had a lot of stock-based compensation, so I would expect if those, I'm assuming their options, you know, stock options, if those get exercised, then the share dilution is going to continue to go up. However, they do have some buyback programs that have been able to offset that. So if they can do that, that might not be a, you know, a net negative for shareholders. It just might be net zero. But I mean, in reality, if you're spending all your free cash flow on buybacks that are offsetting share dilution, you're really not giving any value accretion to shareholders. So just watch out for that over the next few years. Um, they have lots of deferred revenue on their balance sheet that gets their current liabilities a tiny bit inflated because when you have that liability on there, it's that you may have to pay it back. And with deferred revenue, it's likely not going to have to be paid back. Um, you know, I'd say there's a really high chance that they are, are able to recognize that revenue. Um, they have almost $800 million in operating lease liabilities, which hopefully will go down a bit over time because they did just announce a work from home if you want company policy. It's kind of a hybrid one where it's like, all right, we're not going to force you to do any whatever. You know, we might hire some people from Australia, India, or whatever. You don't all have to move to San Francisco, but if you're there, you can work. So they're going to downsize that corporate office, which they did say was, um, I mean, they made a big investment into a large corporate office, and that's going to hurt them a little bit, but once that gets off the balance sheet, that should help um, at least their cash flow a little bit. But I'll let Ryan get into yeah. the business and how it's doing. Yeah, it is worth noting that some of those lease liabilities are probably coming from the data centers as yes. well, but yep. they do have the headquarters there in San Francisco. I'll get into the earnings, though. Uh, last 12-month revenue was $1.8 billion. I think the ARR, so annual recurring revenue, is like 1.9 something, uh, but that is growing 17% year over year. They had 78% gross margins. Two years ago, they had 70% gross margins at the wow. same time, so they have seen some steady gross margin expansion. Uh, $587 million in operating cash flow over the last 12 months. That's an operating cash flow margin of 32%, and they had $494 million in free cash flow, so almost 30% free cash flow margins. Pretty impressive. Very uh, impressive, yeah. And free cash flow is growing around 55% year over year. They have 15.25 million paying users. That's up 9% year over year. Uh, and keep in mind, these users are actually worth a lot. If you think about sort of, well, ARPU was $128 for the quarter. So they are paying a lot. These are typically businesses. There are individuals that pay for it as well, but the businesses are really the ones that are bringing in a lot of the money for them. Uh, ARPU is uh, growing steadily, grew 4% over the last year. They have $1.3 in cash and cash equivalents. I don't think there's much long-term debt. No, it's a, it's a, and they may have a small amount, but it's a very, very clean and conservative balance sheet. Okay, and they spend almost, or they spent um, almost 16% of revenue on stock-based compensation, which- That's very high. 
Yeah, that's a very large amount. And they also accrue a fair amount of uh, a fair amount in depreciation because the estimated useful life of the data centers is only three to five years. Yeah. So, so that's that, where a lot of depreciation comes from. So if you see a large gap in uh, EBITDA to net earnings, that's probably, I mean, obviously take a look at it and see what's also going on there. But I think a lot of that comes from the depreciation. Yeah. And you should probably look at how much EBITDA or whatever their adjusted EBITDA number they convert is to free cash flow. And then, yeah, with that data center number, I mean, reasonably, you think that those data centers are going to last more than three to five years. Mm-hmm. There may be some maintenance capex on there. So if they're overstating the depreciation, it can be similar to a cable company or a broadband company or a fiber company where the net earnings are going to look a lot lower than the cash that's actually being generated in the business. Um, Anything else before we hit our ad break? No, I think that's it. Okay, we're going to hit an ad and then get to the second half of the show. Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one. So you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is Red color, red color, where are you? (sighs) All blocked, thanks to advanced security, included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. All right, welcome back. Next up is Digging Trenches. This is the 0, 1, 2, or 3 moat rating. Um, This is just high-level stuff, or not high-level stuff. It's not, it, we're not doing some deep analysis here on this, but just yeah. looking at the company, our first overview, we've done a few hours of research. What do you think about their competitive advantages? Well, yeah, it's really tough because there's a lot of like uh, product adjacent, adjacent products. So yeah. stuff that uh, overlaps in certain areas, but doesn't exactly do the whole same thing. Uh, but they do have that 600 million registered user installed base, which makes marketing to them really easy. That's because true. you're not necessarily, you don't have to pay to advertise on another platform to go get them. They're already with you. So the the cost to go get them, get them is pretty cheap. Uh, obviously, converting free users to paid users, or even uh, like exist free users to uh, I mean, I, a lot of these users are just old and they don't yeah. use it anymore is yep, what yep. I'm trying to say. And so trying to get them back onto the platform can be a little tough, but it is cheap. Uh, so I think that does give them a competitive advantage. Uh, and the work they did and the time that they came out was is a bit of a competitive advantage as well because they were one of the earliest ones to be the hard drive for the cloud, yeah. which gave them a lot of name recognition. Because, I mean... Everyone, I feel like everyone's heard of Dropbox. They might not all know what they do, uh, but they all know what it, like, they've all heard of it. Yeah, it kind of inspired, I believe it inspired, like, Microsoft OneDrive. It inspired Google Drive, which kind of ended up taking a lot of those, that free market share has really been stolen by Google Drive. I'm not sure, I mean, I'm, I'm confident in saying without looking at the numbers that, Dropbox likely has a better paid install base than Google Drive because it seems like that's really associated with just that free offering. But with any other competitive advantage, I'd say that the lifetime value of their customer, once they get them on there, and as long as the product is solid, which you may want to look at that NPS score, you may want to look at customer reviews, stuff like that, it seems like as long as it's fine, that lifetime value is going to be, I mean, very, very high because... Yeah. 
this is not something that's going to be companies doing and then going away. It's going to be perpetual use of Dropbox. I mean, I don't know. It seems like the churn would be low. There might not be super high switching costs like at like on face value, but the time that it takes to switch and oh, yeah. the slowdown of workflow is huge. Um like we have a lot of documents here that we share for the show and stuff like that. And we have three people. It would be a pain to switch. I, and I can't imagine an enterprise business, how tough it would be. Oh, so, yeah. uh, yeah, I do think there is high lifetime value. Uh, but to touch on all the competitors it's driven, I believe, uh, they talked about this in the interview with Guy Raz, where he's like, uh, he said that at one point Steve Jobs invited him in and he didn't necessarily put a number on it, but he's like, you know, we are interested in acquiring you. And then uh. Uh, they were like, well, we want to kind of build this business out ourselves. And he said, okay, well, we're going to launch iCloud yeah. and try to compete with you. And so basically he's like, we'll buy you. If you're not interested in it, we'll kill you. It didn't work, but uh, I mean, I mean Dropbox I, yeah. is obviously still around. So Yeah, I, it's not like iCloud failed, but it, Dropbox definitely didn't get crushed by them. And I guess that goes into my further reading, uh, which is kind of just something we're looking at like – I mean, if we're really going to do a deep dive and research this company, what is something we're going to want to research further? And I, I mean, the question that comes up is like, why didn't Google Drive, iCloud, OneDrive, Slack, Microsoft, Zoom, etc., kill them? And if they didn't kill this company, does that mean it is a lot better than the market is giving it credit for? And that's kind of what piqued my interest to do research on this. And I, I, I don't know yeah. if I've answered it yet myself. And I still think I'm weighing it, but that's just some. That's kind of the broad question I'm trying to figure out. It is weird. Yeah, it's weird because like Google Drive could technically be B two B, but it feels B two C, and yeah. like it feels consumer facing. Uh, same with, I guess Microsoft Office might be a little different, but it, there's. Yeah. yeah. It's just very. It feels kind of like a niche offering, but everyone has their hands in the industry. Yeah, I guess the big thing is why hasn't Microsoft killed them? Like, it seems like they should have. I don't know. 15 million paying users is not a small amount. It's not a small amount. And they're not going anywhere. So it's like they they must have some advantage, and there is a bit of a moat there. Uh, But yeah, my further reading is the same. Like, what's the difference? Uh, How much overlap can Okta or... uh, Slack or someone box they compete with box like how much bit, overlap yeah, do think, they actually have do they is box almost I mean I don't know much about box are they basically a competitor to Dropbox I think so <laughs> I weird. think they mentioned them on the 10k <laughs> okay okay uh, but yeah there's just overlap in a bunch of different things I guess we should just get into the future growth opportunities what do you have yeah so minus Dropbox spaces 2.0 this is a new thing that. Um, I guess it's the newest release uh, that they've got for customers. So Spaces is a new product that they should have a large tailwind with. It is a, quote, virtual workspace. This is how they describe it. That supposedly helps people collaborate efficiently. And I looked at all the demos, and it seems like that's what it is. Uh, If this is the case, Dropbox value proposition just went up because they can take over things like, you know, they can compete on point with someone like Monday.com or someone like, I mean, it's not necessarily Slack because Slack is more communication, but it can compete with something like Google Drive very like well. Atlassian? Atlassian could be similar. Um, I don't know much about Atlassian. But yeah, they are, I think, moving into a market with a lot of tailwinds and where big tech can't just crush them. So I think the key to them having success is that possibly this is platform agnostic. So, sorry. 
possible success because they are platform agnostic. You can add any type of file, whether it be a Google Doc, an Excel spreadsheet, which in reality, those are really the only two uh, most people need. Um, you can add it to spaces without moving it from the original location. You know how it's annoying with a Google Drive document, at least if you have the free one where everything kind of has to be embedded, uh, you know? With Dropbox, it's not like revolutionary that they're doing this, and I'm sure a lot of other people do it, but making it so easy where you can use any sort of thing, you know, whether it be Trello, Microsoft tools, Google tools, even Apple tools. I mean, as long as you can make that so everyone can use whatever they want and then it all comes to this one hub, which would be spaces, I think that's a large value proposition or a good value proposition. Yeah, I don't think there's any one thing that's going to be like a magnificent value driver. My future growth opportunity is Hello HelloSign. So this is sort of the DocuSign competitor. They acquired them in 2019 for $230 million in cash. Uh, they just had a press release actually that came out and said they're launching in 21 different languages. Cool. This basically just allows them to keep a DocuSign in the ecosystem so you can sign, send, receive documents. Um, and like I said, it's not one massive value driver, but all these things in the ecosystem make it hard to leave. So all the functionality of these different products, uh, all these different features is just another value add to the customers. Uh, it's it's a little bit like Cash App, how peer-to-peer was nice, but you really have to build on top of it and add the additional functionality. And what's nice is that once you have the users onboarded, you can add these functions which make the switching costs higher and bring up your value proposition, which therefore in the long run can help you raise your ARPU. Right. Uh, and as we can see with the numbers, they're able to do that consistently, at least over the last you know, few years here. They ha- I mean, I-, I can't remember when Dropbox went public, uh, but I know before that they were struggling quite a bit. Um, but it seems like they've turned it around and gotten back to that growth story of transitioning to this collaboration stuff. I think they were a Silicon Valley darling when they first came out because they got like a $4 billion valuation pretty early on. Yes, yeah, very early, and now it's only nine, right? Yeah, and it was like $2 billion last time we analyzed them, which was like a year ago or two years ago. Yeah, I know. So, we, yeah, don't listen to that one because that's when we were t- total maybe amateurs. Less. But, uh, oh, sorry, maybe more, but. Yeah, it was probably closer to four, but yeah. So, I mean, they've, they've had a rough go of it. I think a lot of that had to do with the security and maybe the transition from customers to businesses. Uh, but, yeah, what do you have for highlights and lowlights? Uh, highlights? I mean, highlight for me is they've survived this far. I mean, with the big tech really coming after them, yeah. I mean, they've gotten to the other side. And I think that's a big highlight. They have great cash flow margins and the buyback plan. Uh, although, again, like I said earlier, stock-based compensation is to be desired if they're diluting shares by that much. Um, the buybacks almost are useless. I mean, I don't know. I just hate I, I <laughs> It's a balancing act. T- yeah, it, it is a balancing act, but as everyone knows has listened to the show for a long time, I really hate uh, egregious stock-based compensation. Now, this might just be a one-time thing, so make sure to look at what their stock-based compensation is as a percentage of revenue over time. If that drops below like 5%, it's probably not a big deal. Um, I think that pivot to spaces and collaboration seems to be working, and I do like the founder. I think he's very smart. I mean, yeah. MIT, the founder-led thing here really, um, I mean, I, I think it's pretty important. Um, Lowlights, you know, not sure if Salesforce, while they acquired Slack, and then you have Okta on their own, will start eating into this market share because I know uh, Ryan and I both work um, other jobs at The Motley Fool, and they use o- Okta. Is it Okta or Okta? It's Okta. They use Okta as the uh, secure sign-in system to everything. 
Now, it's not the same as collaborating with individual team members or on like a startup or something like that, but it helps it so if you have all the different services, you can go through one login and do that. That might be eating into Dropbox's territory a bit on this where it kind of makes it so you don't need spaces or something like that anymore. Um, some of their products like secure file storage also seem commodity based, you know, although the switching costs are high. Um, really though, like it's all execution risk. Yeah. I mean, that, uh, there's not like anything embedded into the price where you're going to be paying an exorbitant valuation. What is the free cash flow yields above 5%? Yeah, um, I think so. Yeah, I don't know. What do you think? I, I do like it. Um, and I think Drew knows what he's doing. He's going to die with the ship if it goes down because he, uh, you know, he owns a lot of shares. Uh, and he seems like a humble guy from that interview. I think it's pretty telling. Everyone, if you're listening to this and you're interested, definitely go listen to that interview. That's uh, how I built this, right? Yeah. Um, and the switching costs for an enterprise team are insanely high. Like if you're on an enterprise, unless they do something catastrophic to ruin your files or some massive security breach from here, uh, it, there's no reason to switch. So yeah. – um, that's big, and 15 million users is not a small amount. Uh, low lights for me, though, they they have endured a lot of brand erosion, and for you know, for a company that has financial documents, it does seem irresponsible. Like I said, to store them there, and yeah. maybe it isn't irresponsible, but if you're telling like like a hedge fund, for example, if you have clients where they're like, all right, where are you? storing these documents and you say, oh, Dropbox, and all they have is that negative brand around security breaches, it can be a deal breaker for a lot of investors. So um, yeah, I guess they have to overcome that. As long as they keep their 15 million users happy right now, they're generating a lot of cash flow. And like you said, 5% free cash flow yield is pretty high um, or pretty solid. So um, yeah, I mean... I guess more or less interested. Yeah, yeah. I guess we're getting to the last question on the more or less interested thing. I'm definitely more interested. Again, this is not the more or less or just eh, interested does not mean at all that we would be buying shares. We're people that own about eight to 15 companies. So there's a lot of companies we're interested in, um, but not many of them actually make it down to the portfolio. I would say one note on the switching costs. A lot of people roll their eyes on that and talk about someone like Comcast or a cable company where they're like, oh, they have high switching costs, but the customer support is just terrible. However, if you marry high switching costs with an actual good product that people like, that is pretty magical. And yeah. if Dropbox can do that, I mean, the, the value is there. So that, that's really what has me more interested and the fact that they've weathered the big tech storm and come out the other side. Also, they, I mean, for these enterprise deals, I was looking at some of the stuff they get. It means 24-7, like you have a customer service rep yeah. constantly. Mm-hmm. So, And that might hurt your margins or whatever, but it's worth worth it nominally uh, when you have these big enterprise businesses. Um, I'm more interested as well. It, the only thing for me is definitely the competitive landscape. You yeah, know. it's a tough one out there. I guess, I guess it doesn't matter that much though because if you're – I mean – as it, it mattered three years ago, and yeah. they've still grown users, and 15 million users, uh, that's a lot, and they're not going to leave. So, uh, I mean, it looks like they're not going to leave. I'd love for them to throw a churn number out there one of these times. but um, yeah. yeah. And the installed base being so high and that easy sort of marketing funnel – uh, that's something to like as well. Yeah, and they can roll up things like Hello Sign. There's a lot of other things that are like that that they could roll up into this to make it so that 
I don't know, it feels to me similar to, and I don't want to say this because Adobe's been one of the best stocks of all time, it feels a little bit similar to Adobe if they execute right. It's a random tangent, but there's also that HelloSign acquisition makes me realize how much of a commodity product DocuSign is. Sorry to all the DocuSign shareholders. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's even one that competes a little bit. That, yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the, it's tough. I mean, people might be, if you're an expert on this industry with software, B2B software, you might be saying like, no, no, that wasn't a competitor, this is a competitor, and that's the whole thing is that I think there's a ton of adjacent competitors and some slightly overlap, there's like a ton of Venn diagrams here, um, and that's kind of the, the tough thing, you know, you got a lot of money flowing into the, the competition. All right, well, that's going to do it. Uh, remember, as always, if you're going to sign up with 7investing, as you should, use our promo code CCM at checkout to get $10 off. Wait. Uh, this is a good time. You know, we hate to be the people that do this, but if you're on Apple, a oh, review yeah, actually yeah. helps. Yeah. I, I hear other podcasts do this all yes, the time, yes. and I don't want them to get ahead of me. So, yeah, I mean, leave a review. We've heard people say that our sound quality is poop emoji. So uh, if you think we, we're we better think... than that now, uh, because we did get a pop filter, please feel free to leave a uh, review that and, says something and, nice. And if you leave a review that's five stars and says a funny joke that we would understand if you were a listener of the show, um, we'll read it off if it's actually <laughs> truly if it's actually truly funny. So test your comedic skills and uh, help us out if you listen on Apple. All right. That's going to do it for this episode. Thank you all for listening. Remember, as always, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on this show is not formal advice or a recommendation. Thank you for listening. We'll see you on our next episode. Mm-hmm.